Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. It's so great to be with you again this week. I wanted to share a couple things with you that I've been learning um, during my time of Bible study and just honestly, just considering my life as we go into, what is it, week three or four? I've honestly lost count of how many weeks we've been in a shelter in place, you know, the quarantine that's happening. And so I just want to share a couple things that are on my heart. Um, But by doing that, I want to actually explain something to you just to get started here. Um, I've been watching Netflix a lot, so I don't know if you're one of those people who when you have some downtime, you spend your time in front of the television, catching up on some television shows that you've heard were good, maybe want to spend some time watching but never had the time to. So I've been watching um, quite a bit of TV, and I I keep it on in the background even when I'm doing some of my chores or whatever else. Um, And I I ran across a study this week that actually reminded me of something that I already knew, I'll share it with you, um, but it's quite shocking. The study said this, that Uh, the average American will spend about seven and a half years of their life watching television. So if they add up all of the minutes that a person is sitting down in front of the television, again, they might be folding laundry, could be eating dinner, could be doing anything like that, but they're watching television, add up all of those minutes, it totals about seven and a half years. And you add to that this fact that uh, the average American will also spend about five years of their life on social media. It just blows me away how easy we can be distracted by the electronic things in our lives. And one time this last week while I was watching uh, Netflix, this thing popped up on the screen. You've seen it before. It's Netflix asking this question, are you still watching? Question mark. And you have to actually pick up your remote and click yes so that the next show that you're watching will continue. And I thought about that for a moment. Now, Netflix puts that question up there because they know people are spending a lot of their time in front of the television. And if you're seriously trying to keep up with the television series, they'll ask you if you're still watching because you maybe have wandered away to change the laundry over. You maybe have wandered away to help one of your children uh, do their homework. And so they don't want the, the show to continue playing without you. So you have to actually say, yes, I'm still watching, which I think is kind of great. But when that phrase, are you still watching, popped up, it made me think of how easy it is for for me and maybe some of you um, to just get into autopilot mode, to just stand in this place or sit in this chair watching television and, and allowing that thing to continue on for hours and hours and hours. It's kind of great that Netflix sort of smacks us in the face and says, hey, dummy, wake up. Are you still watching this or not? And I began to think about my own faith as a Christian. I began to think about and consider my own life as a believer. Sometimes we engage in the Lord, in things uh, of the kingdom of God and all of these things through Bible study, through prayer or whatever. And oftentimes we're not truly engaged with them. We are just on autopilot. We are just doing things out of uh, habits. We are creatures of habit, so to speak. And so we just do things um, just automatically without much consideration. And to be frank, that bothered me a little bit. 
If the Lord is talking to me about my life, Jeff, are you just on autopilot with me? Are, are you just uh, floating, so to speak, <laughs> drifting down the stream of life with no active engagement with me? Jeff, when's the last time you set something aside, like an hour of your day, to just be with me? When's the last time you've, you, you made an intentional choice to spend time with me? When's the last time you chose to be with me instead of just automatically assumed because you're a Christian that you're having relationship with me? I don't know if you're like me, but when, when I, I, I sense the Lord talking to me about those things, I, I, get, I get disturbed a little bit. And so I, I want to think about um, our life. I want to think about my life as a Christian. I, I don't think that we can live our lives as Christians just on autopilot. I think there is something that's required of us, an intention, if you will. And it's not so much to say we have to earn our salvation by doing things. That's not at all I'm implying. We, we have our salvation because of our faith in Jesus. Jesus has earned it for us. No, I'm talking about a, a willful desire to grow in obedience and submission to him, to, lean, to, to lead our lives in such a way that, that we know we are engaged in a relationship with God. In fact, I think it's, it's in our mission statement, so to speak, of the Christian life that, that we are called to be engaged in um, this life. Let me, let me read this to you out of Romans chapter 10, I think. This is what it says. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And what stuck out to me in that phrase, in that passage, is the phrase, Jesus is Lord. The idea of Jesus being Lord has to speak to us in some way. But we oftentimes don't understand what that means to say Jesus is Lord. That I want to argue today that this is, it has something to say about a relationship that we have with him. We have not been called to a life of just floating down the stream of the Christian life. We've not been called to just um, not engage with what God is asking of us. It requires us to look at our lives differently. And so I want to pray for us. Just break real quick and pray for us and, and ask God if he would speak to us about our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you that we can come together and uh, truly engage with you. God, it is my prayer as you hear my voice um, that all the people here would, would be quickened in their own hearts and spirits, that you're trying to awaken your people, your church, the, the ones you love the most, out of a slumber, so to speak, of just uh, uh, rote repetition and routine, but actually live an abundant and joy-filled and peace-filled life that you've called all of us into, God. I pray over these next few minutes that you would help us um, see that, God. We just thank you and we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna talk a little bit about this idea, Jesus is Lord. 
Now, I want, to, I want you to know historically what we would say back in Jesus' day, back in the first century, that this had a lot to say with how a person would pay respect to earthly authorities, so to speak. They would say in Jesus' day that Caesar was Lord. It was a, a title, if you will. It was a, a way for them to say, this is how we are uh, showing our respect of the authority that is over us. And we know this to be true, that they would say this. In fact, the, the disciples were um, first criticized, right, for calling Jesus Lord because they were actually standing in opposition that Caesar was supposed to be Lord. Caesar was supposed to be your master. Caesar was supposed to be your leader. But they were saying, no, Jesus is Lord. And so historically, we know that to be true. But Thomas, if you remember the story of Thomas, Thomas was the disciple who doubted whether or not Jesus had been raised from the dead. When doubting Thomas was, was uh, first encountered the resurrected Jesus and Jesus showed him the nail holes in his hands, he said these words. He said, my Lord and my God. And this was more than just, you're my authority, you're my master, but he actually attributed the deity or the godship to Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus, you are my Lord, my master, who I will serve, but you are also God. And so we're learning not just historically what uh, Jesus as Lord means, we're actually learning something theologically. That Jesus is, in fact, God. Peter goes to Cornelius' house later in the New Testament, and we see that he says Jesus is Lord of all. He's saying he is not only uh, the master or God, but he's the God and master of everything. So Jesus as Lord means that, that it's a, a symbol of a, a, a phrase to say that Jesus is the master over us, the authority over us. It's to say also that he is God. And then lastly, and this is the important part, when we say Jesus is Lord, what we are talking about is the personal relationship that we are having with God. For us Christians, it speaks to this relationship that we have with him and speaks to the issue of submission and obedience. But to be honest with you, many of us don't like to consider that. We don't like to think about that. We like to hesitate at this idea that we have to submit ourselves fully to Jesus. We don't want to submit to Jesus fully. And why is that? Why don't we want to yield our every desire, our every emotion, our every thought and consideration? Why don't we want to yield those things to Jesus? I think, and I would argue this, that it's because we don't fully understand what Jesus is asking of us. We don't fully understand what God is asking of us. We think that to submit to Jesus that way, to submit to God fully and completely, it just simply means this, that he's going to take things from us. Typically the things we enjoy and like. He's just going to take all of those things, rob us of our joy and our peace or whatever, and we're not gonna have any fun in this world anymore. But that's not in fact true. He's not going to take things from you. In fact, we're going to give things to him. Now, there is a subtle difference, and I need you to hear that. Jesus is not here to take things from us. He's here to receive things when we give them to him. God's people, both now and even in antiquity, uh, they struggled with this idea to know the difference between a good master, a good Lord, a good God who didn't demand things of them, and a bad master, Lord, and God who, who did take things and who did demand things from them. 
You see, bad masters take things, bad lords take things, bad kings take things from their people. But good lords don't, good kings don't. They receive them from their people. And the, the difference is subtle, but it is important for us to understand. I, I wanna share a story with you that is in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter eight, actually. And just by way of context, I'll tell you a little bit about what is happening here. Uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, had been led by leaders, much like Moses and Joshua, right? Those people that we've talked about before. But after Joshua and Moses, the, the nation of Israel was actually led by um, leaders that we call judges. And the judges, they played the role of a priest, the prophet, and the judge in the, the land that, that uh, Israel lived in. And so they would, uh, ha after a succession of different judges, these judges led God's people. Now, spoiler alert, many of them did not lead God's people in a very good way. <laughs> and you can learn about that on your own by reading the book of, first and, or the book of Judges in uh, the Old Testament. But in 1 Samuel, we learn of a judge named Samuel. And Samuel was a good judge. He was a good priest, a good prophet, and a good judge for the nation of Israel. But he had gotten old in age, and he had actually established his two sons to take over for him, basically. The problem with that was his two sons were not godly people. They were crooked people, like crooked politicians. They took bribes and were only seeking their own self-interest. And so the people of Israel came to Samuel and they said, we don't want your sons to judge over us. And we know that you're getting old. So what we want now is we want you to give us a king, a king. The nation of Israel had never had a king before. They've always been led by the one that God has chosen to lead them. They've been led honestly by God himself as God would come to Moses and tell Moses how to lead his people and led by Joshua who, who would tell Joshua how to lead his people. And so God has always been the one to lead his people through someone else. But they wanted to dismiss all of that. And they said, no, no, we want a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we, we read these words of what Israel said to Samuel. We said, verse 5 here says, Behold, you are old. Now that's a slam right there. But anyways, that's what they say to Samuel. He says, You are old and your sons, they do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. Now, Samuel was a little upset at this. And so he goes before the Lord and, and he explains to the Lord why he's upset. And the Lord speaks back to Samuel and says this in verse seven. He says, Samuel, I want you to obey the voice of the people. Basically, I want you to give them a king. <laughs> Ask, give them what they're asking for. And all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but rather they have rejected me from being king over them. You see, God knew ultimately that it wasn't Samuel they were rejecting by asking for a king. It was actually God that they were rejecting. God wanted to be their king. He's always wanted to be our king. And they were rejecting him. So Samuel goes back to the people and he tells them that I'm going to give you what you want. But God wants to warn you first. In verse 9, he says, now obey their voice, give them what they're asking for. But you shall solemnly warn them and what they're asking for, basically. And I want to read in verses 10 through 18 what it is this king that they're asking for is going to do. It says in verse 11 that this king will be the, the king who will reign over you. 
that he will take your sons from you and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He's going to take your young men to become, uh, to become part of his army or in his military. Uh, verse 13 He's going to take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He's going to take your sons and your daughters. Verse 15, he's going to take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He's going to demand some of your resources from you. He's going to take even your male servants and your female servants in verse 16 and your young men and even your donkeys. He'll take a tenth of your flocks. And in verse 18, it says this. And in that day, after the king has done all of these things to you, you will cry out to me because of your king. That the very thing you're asking for is going to cause great discomfort for you. But we're going, but God says to Samuel, I want you to give it to him anyways. Now, in this, I just want to bring up two points, two points of consideration that I would um, want us to consider today. The first one is this, is they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like the other people in the culture around them. And we see this back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. And I already read this, but I want to read it again. He says, we know you're old, Samuel, and your sons are bad people. We don't want anything to do with them. But appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. What we're learning in this moment is is they, they have begun to look at the nations around them and they begin to desire to be like them. In fact, it, it appears that they began, began to idolize the people around them, the culture around them. They want to be just like everyone else. And that's not what God wants. In fact, God asks his people to be different. He, he wants his people to be different. But God's people in this moment, they didn't want to be. They wanted to be just like everyone else. I've been reading a book by Daniel Strange, and um, it's called Plugged In. I, I don't know if you can see this in the camera, but maybe you can get a good shot of this. Um, and he's writing a, a book about connecting our faith with the culture around us. So in everything that we watch and everything that we read and all the, the things that we play in this world is how do you engage your faith into that culture? And, and he says this about uh, people when they look to the culture around them, and Christians in particular, that we oftentimes respond to culture in one of three ways. That we typically stand um, on the outside and just look in. So we're Christians, and we're looking at the culture around us, and from our sort of holy huddle or Christian bubble, he calls it. And, and we have sort of our fingers in our ears. We don't want to hear what they're saying because we're afraid that it'll kind of, it'll change our thinking. It'll make us not become uh, followers of Jesus. And so we stand on the outside and we just look into the culture around them. Another way we as Christians oftentimes engage the culture is we, we lash out at the culture. We use the God-given gift of discernment and judgment, and we become judgmental of all things around us. So not only are we standing on the outside looking in, but now we're lashing out at all of the people who are acting in a way that we would say, and the Bible would even support, right? And we believe this, that they're acting ungodly. They're doing wicked and cruel things. They're doing, uh, living a debaucherous lifestyle, and we lash out at them. And that's, that's one of the ways we respond to them. And another way, the third way, is we end up looking like the culture around us. And that's what's happening here in the nation of Israel. 
is they want it to just look like the culture around them. And maybe it's just because they're afraid uh, of being different. Maybe they just, they didn't want people to know that they're different, that they're followers of Yahweh and followers of God. So they want it to just look like everyone else. And maybe this is just a reaction against judgmentalism. We don't want to be too judgmental of everyone. So what happens over time is we just begin to look like everyone else. And this was a problem for the nation of Israel. This was the motive for asking for a king. Can you imagine that? It's not even what they're asking for is necessarily a bad thing, but the reason behind it is bad. We don't want to be different. We don't want to follow you. We want to look just like everyone else. Daniel Strange writes, and and that's the premise of this whole book, that there is actually a fourth way that Christians or followers of God, the people who follow God, can engage in the culture around them. And that's just it. We engage the culture around us. We, be, we are in the world, but not of the world. And, and that's a topic for a whole other time. But I just wanted you to notice what God's people were doing is they didn't want to be different. They wanted to be just like all of the other nations. And they idolized the nations around them. They wanted to be like them, which then leads us to my second point. Whatever thing we idolize, whatever thing we allow to be the master or the Lord or the ultimate authority, the king of our lives, whatever we allow to be in that position in our lives, it is always going to take things from us if it is not Jesus. It is always going to take things from us. Consider this. If we allow something else to be the Lord, something, let's say, like maybe work, This is something that we oftentimes idolize in our day, although I think right now we're longing to just go back to work in an office instead of working from home. But work, let's say that's the ultimate Lord of your life. What happens is it demands your time. That's what a bad master does. That's what a bad Lord or bad king does. It demands your time, but not Jesus. And the distinction is this. Jesus doesn't demand our time, what he wants What he desires is our time. He doesn't demand it from us. He desires it. Something else is Lord. If work or another idol in your life is Lord of your life, it causes unrest, but not Jesus. Jesus actually gives us rest. These other false gods, these other idols in our life, we have to work for it or for them, but not for Jesus. Jesus actually works in us. (laughs) He works in us to produce the results that he has for us. These other idols and masters and lords, it requires our resources. It demands time and money and all these things, but not Jesus. When Jesus is Lord, he just receives our resources. He receives the time that we give him. He receives the finances that we use to bless his church and to do ministry to other people in the world. He doesn't mandate that we do that. So I was just thinking about these things this week. What does it look like as a Christian to say the words, Jesus is Lord? What does it look like for us to say those words, to to not be on autopilot in our lives, but to actually engage with God in that? Jesus, you are Lord. You are, you are my Lord. I, I want to be obedient to you. I want to serve you. I don't want to live my life on autopilot, just drifting through. I want to engage with you. And to do so, I need to know that you're a good God. You don't 
demand things and take things away from me. What you, what you do is you offer um, abundant life, peace, and joy, and all of the things in my life that are robbing that from me, you ask me to just lay them down. Back in my 20s, and I've shared this story many times before, but I had an idol in my life, and it was art. I loved music. I was a musician and I loved creating music and, and my whole life centered around that one thing. Now, when I became a Christian, all of a sudden there was a tussle between that which my heart desired before, which was music, and now which my heart had been given to, which was Jesus. And over time, Jesus just helped me understand that, that this, this uh, idol of music in my life always brought strife and tension and turmoil. I never performed good enough. I always thought the gig could have been better, always thought the song could have been better, and it was robbing joy from me. There would be many times I'd leave after playing a gig all night, and I'd been so frustrated by my performance that I, I was actually angry on my way home. My young wife, Stacy, at the time, I say young because we were both young at that time, but she asked me, Jeff, why do you put up with this? I suspect she doesn't even remember asking me that question. It's like the Lord himself nudged me in the, in the car ride home that night. Jeff, why, why do you suffer through that? Just let that thing go. Let me be the main thing in your life and you'll, you'll have a happier life. And I did. Now, if you know my story, uh, music was still a huge part of my life. Uh, I used my talents and abilities to be a, a, a worship leader in a church for, for almost a decade. I love that. And the church that I get to pastor now, we make a big deal about the music. I love music, but it's not the main thing in my life. Netflix asks all the time, are you still watching? Are you engaged with what's happening right now? Same thing for us as Christians. Are you still watching? Are you still engaged with God? Are you still leaning in? Or are you just sort of sitting back on the couch, just watching and just watching your life kind of go by, just floating down the stream of life, hoping that it will somehow turn out okay for you? <laughs> I think this whole idea came, came to me this week uh, because last week was Easter, and I, I invited some people to become Christians last week. I asked them to pray, uh, pray a prayer with me um, to allow Jesus to become Lord in their life. And I, and I want you to know, we had many people respond to that prayer. I know Stacy already mentioned that earlier. But it made me think about this. It made me think about if I was to take a young Christian aside, someone who just gave their life to Jesus, who just received Jesus by faith, what would be the one thing that I would tell them to understand first? What would be the one thing that I asked them to focus on first? And it would be that idea, that mission statement in Romans chapter 10, that Jesus is Lord. That he is the Lord. And we have to work towards uh, obedience to him and work towards um, submission to him because there are other lords in this world vying for our attention. 
There are other idols in this world who demand things from you. And if we're not careful, if we're not fully engaged in our relationship with Jesus and God, then we will drift towards those things. And so this is my encouragement to us as a church. Are you still watching? I mean, are you still engaged? That's the question for us. Anyways, I want to pray for us and close. I, I want you to know I've been praying for you continually um, these past many weeks. I've been calling people on the telephone and texting people. And if you need uh, encouragement or hope, and if you want to reach out to us at the church, and you can do so by just uh, sending an email to prayer at rendicator.org, then we can we can um, hit you back and enter into a conversation with you to resource you or to help you if you're feeling lonely or need something. We would love to be able to engage with you. So anyways, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you again for our time. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the example of what a bad king looks like in the Bible. And we don't want to serve bad kings. We want to serve the true king of kings, Jesus. And we know, Jesus, that you are good, that you want the best for us, that you have come to give us abundant life. And so we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us in a way that would speak not to just our um, um, issue of, um, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Not just speaking to the issue of, of wondering whether or not we're doing the right things or the wrong things, but to actually just prioritize our life into what is best for us. God, we need to hear from your spirit what you have for us. What's next? God, you might want us to actually turn the television off for a few hours this week so that we might actually engage in meditation and prayer and maybe simple Bible reading. God, you're asking us to prioritize things in our lives, and we need to hear from you. God, we do not want to just float through this life. We want to have an ongoing relationship with you. You are the Lord, and we serve you and we love you. God, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.